Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 149, The Joy Chapters. A few weeks ago, I had had a really busy Saturday, and I had been having a lot of those during that time, and I know it's because of the season, there's a lot going on, but I'm just one who doesn't really like my schedule to be jam-packed. That kind of tends to bring up a lot of fear as far as scarcity around time, like there's not enough time, or that I'm pressed for time, or I'm not going to be able to accomplish anything or everything because of time. And fortunately, in my coaching practice, I'd really been practicing of just allowing emotions to come up and just being curious about them. And what do I mean by that? I mean that I've noticed for me and then for some of my clients, those who tend to kind of resist emotions, like I'm going to resist negative emotion, also tend to resist positive emotion. It's this whole balance We don't want to swing one way too far. We don't want to swing the other way too far. We want to resist that. We want to stay right in the middle. So how do do some people break that cycle? I've decided to just allow the emotion, to just notice where it's happening in my body, to just kind of stop and think, okay, what thought am I having right now? Is it true? Is it a thought I want to keep? And then I decide whether or not I want to react to that feeling or not. (laughs) Like for example, if I'm feeling agitated, I just notice I'm agitated. I don't try and push it away and come up with a happy thought. I just think to myself, oh, okay, we're doing agitated right now. This is a part of that mortal experience. What's happening for me that I am feeling agitated, that I'm thinking thoughts that cause agitation. And I then just kind of think about it. I sit with it. And then I decide whether or not I want to act on it. So I've been practicing this because I've noticed that the more I try and push negative emotions away, the more that things are kind of actually building up for me, kind of causing more of an anxiousness, and it's actually defeating how I really truly want to feel. And that's happy. And that's joy, right? So anyways, on this particular Saturday, I was really busy and it was all with good stuff. I was helping the youth with a service project. I needed to come home and prepare a lesson. And then we had tickets to take the family to go to this big band Christmas concert that we we didn't even know what to expect. But it was all good stuff, right? Great opportunities. But it was triggering for me that scarcity of time. But I knew that that's not what I wanted to experience that day. And so this was going to be a day for me to practice what I preach, right? (laughs) And at the service project, I learned something about myself. If I'm not frantically engaged, if there are lulls in between the hustle and bustle, I start to get a little restless. And restlessness comes up for me in a form of criticism. I start thinking, maybe even perfecting is probably the criticism, perfecting. 
I started thinking about how things could work faster, how we could manage things and keep the production line running a little more effectively. And maybe we didn't even need all these volunteers because maybe that was just wasting everyone's time, right? How can we get this done in less time? And then I had to think to myself, but is that the goal? <laughs> Were we planning a fast food drive through Christmas experience? Or was this supposed to be more individualistic? And it was, of course, absolutely the second option. And now don't get me wrong, I wasn't acting out in any way. I was just noticing and I was being very aware of what my brain was offering me and how I was answering it. I could choose how I was going to respond. So I just noticed the restlessness and how it felt, the critical thoughts bubbling up, the unused energy in my hands and in my arms. I noticed I kept looking around to see if I could solve quote unquote the problem. (laughs) By the way, there was no problem to be solved. This organization was slick. They knew what they were doing. The problem was my focus. So I had to think to myself, do I want to show up restless and agitated? Do I want to show up critical? No. I wanted to feel Christ in Christmas. So I decided to change my focus. I took the opportunity to talk and joke with my oldest son who, get this, he could have stationed himself anywhere. He chose to stand by me. And so I took opportunity to joke and talk with him about that. It's priceless, right? 17-year-old boy standing with his mama. I could just gush him now, right? And I took time to laugh with our young women and I chatted with our good bishop. And then I just loved on through my thoughts and the way I could express myself. I loved on the families who had volunteered to gather together items for families in need. I loved watching how they just checked off their list with care and concern and it was awesome. One of the times in which I noticed that I was starting to turn around, start trying to think, okay, how can we get this, you know, sped up? How can we get this done more quickly? I decided to change focus and just pay attention to the room. And I observed this room that was full of items that had been donated or bought to help these families in needs. It was full of coats and socks and hygiene kits and toys. And it was all gathered so nicely, hung up with respect, gathered in boxes and organized. And I then looked at the individuals who were shopping for the family that was in need. They didn't know who this family was. It was anonymous. But they were meaningfully considering what would girl age seven like and what would boy age 14 need and appreciate. And that kind of care was far better than an assembly line of efficiency. And then I thought about how would Christ move through this? He would take his time. He wouldn't be in a hurry. And as I started to change my focus, thinking of how abundant and merciful he is, while I was in a state of restlessness, I noticed that I began to relax and be filled with peace. And where the first two hours, I was constantly turning around to look at the clock. The next two hours zipped by so fast. And when the time was done, I wasn't in a hurry to leave. I had grasped the spirit of the moment And that the feeling that accompanied that was joy. And I allowed it. Because I wasn't pushing away and resisting the negative emotion. 
because I was noticing what I was thinking and thinking, how can I do it better? How can I focus on the Savior? Joy entered my heart. I went home that afternoon and had about two and a half hours before we needed to um, start preparing dinner and get to the concert. And of course, that time zipped by because, you know, when mama's gone, everyone needs to catch mama up on what had been happening. (laughs) And I started to notice that I was like kind of being the complaint department. Everyone was coming in and telling me their woes and catching me up on, you know, Oh, I experienced this. And I and I noticed that I started to feel contention too, but I didn't want to act contentious. So I changed my focus and I focused on my kids, more fully listening to them, hugging them, comforting them. And then I got a solid 40 minutes to prepare a lesson. And I jotted down the notes that the Spirit had been putting upon my mind. And as I did so, I felt joy. Now, I don't know about you and your teenagers, but mine weren't all that enthusiastic to go to a big band Christmas concert with mom and dad. (laughs) And I think part of it is because they just didn't know what to expect, and neither did I. But as we got there, and as the music started with that upbeat tempo and that energetic swing, I immediately got into the spirit of things. Now, I could have chosen to sit there properly and to just, you know, take in the music. But I consciously determined that I wanted to enjoy the rhythms and the various instruments that I would swing with them. And now don't take this to a silly place. Don't start imagining me in the aisles, you know, doing my big band swing moves. (laughs) Or you can, if it brings you joy, go ahead. (laughs) But I did allow my head to tap or head to bob up and down and my, my, hands and feet to tap out the rhythm. And I just kept reminding myself, this is joy. Don't squash it. Just feel it. Uh, Let it just feel bright. Smile. Don't push out joy. Joy is a big word, isn't it? The angels declared joy to the world. The Lord has come. When you think about that level of feeling, joy appears like it would be overwhelming almost. Yet we've learned from the Book of Mormon that our purpose is to have joy. Men are that they might have joy. Now I've heard many discussions in which people assume that they must be doing life wrong because joy seems to be a feeling that they don't experience very often. And if that's their purpose, then they must be not doing things right. We've even been told by church leaders that members of the church ought to be the most joyous people around. And I ask you, are we? And another point that I've heard expressed is, how is joy in this life even possible? Here I am, living in a world where everyone has agency, and their agency greatly impacts the circumstances I find myself in. It impacts my joy. And a thought error can sometimes cause us to think that joy is just out of reach, that it's reserved for the perfect moment. Perhaps the principle of joy is not understood by most of the world. Because consider this definition. The world would define joy as a pleasurable feeling that comes from success, good fortune, the gratification of your desire, or some good that you possess. No wonder so many of us don't feel joy. Because by this definition, 
It only comes to us through some attainment of status or material goods or personal ambition being obtained. And we have that saying that comparison is the thief of joy. So all we have to do, if joy is getting status or material goods or having some personal ambition obtained, all we need to do is look to our right or look to our left and start comparing our achievements to someone else's. And then joy is gone. Or sometimes people do it for us (laughs) by one-upping us or bragging or flaunting. And then joy is gone. But that isn't joy. That's distortion of what true joy is. We learn from the scriptures the truth about the principle of joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit, meaning this is a feeling that's reserved for the presence and the involvement of deity. Full joy comes through Jesus Christ. Our meekness or our realization that we are nothing without God actually increases our joy. And true joy, it can't be taken away from us by man. And how is that? Because joy is a condition of great happiness coming from our own personal righteous living. It comes through our redemption. It comes from being brought out of the darkness and into God's light. Now, remember at conference last, this quote was by President Nelson was repeated several times. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. And from my experience on this busy Saturday, that was true. I was agitated until I focused on the Savior, and my joy increased. And when I focused on my family members and the the happiness that I felt spending time with them and listening to upbeat music, my joy increased. And guess what? My teenagers had fun. (laughs) I know you were wondering, because that's a big, important part of the story. There is joy to always be found when your teenagers are happy. (laughs) But I was grateful that I allowed myself to feel joy. Because a Saturday that could have potentially put me over the edge didn't. It buoyed me. It energized me. So here in Alma, chapters 26 through 29, I call them the joy chapters. We learn from Ammon and Alma about the true vehicles that bring joy. Now take note, their expression of joy. It wasn't reserved until all of their trials were resolved, or when their enemy had stopped hating on them, or when their work was done and they could just peaceably be at home with their feet kicked up and relaxing. They experienced joy despite their circumstances, because at this time, opposition was raging. The anger and the rage of the Lamanites, particularly the Amalekites, it spurred another attack on the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, who again peacefully submitted to the sword and lost their lives. It came at a time in which the Lord had actually told them to flee and go and seek refuge from the Nephites. And think about how scary that must have been. The anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they gather up, they make their way uh, to get near to Zarahemla, and they're going to seek protection and belonging among a people that they had once been vicious towards. 
And this is where Ammon meets Alma on the road after 13 years of separation because Ammon and the sons of Mosiah are making their way to Zarahemla to beg for the Nephites' mercy. Much at this point was undetermined. Much was up in the air and uncertain. Much was in chaos. And this is a crisis moment. And as I've studied their expressions and their declarations of what they owe their joy to, it all can be boiled down into three categories. Jesus, the redemption of others, and the redemption of you. Or in other words, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, and you yourself. Not once did Joy come to these Nephite brethren because they were just so involved in their own greatness, but it came because they rejoiced in Jesus. They rejoiced in his characteristics and the God that he truly was. They describe him as being the Lord of the harvest, who gathers his children in when the time is right in their lives to do so. And they praised his desires and his work always working righteousness, and how he encircles his children with the matchless bounty of his love. How good he is. How Jesus has the ability to possess great power, yet he can be so merciful and long-suffering towards the children of men. His desire is not to condemn. His desire is to bring souls unto repentance. Both Ammon and Alma are just extraordinary examples of how the Lord has played his part in their lives, making each of these points true. And they testified how Jesus is so mindful of his people. He numbers them wherever they are in the world. And in his power and his wisdom and all his understanding, he comprehends all things. And he is able to do this and how this serves him actually because it allows him to extend perfect mercy towards each one of us in exactly the way we need it. Not the patronizing and the enabling kind, but the kind of mercy that lifts us to something higher and holier. When we take time to praise Jesus, to meditate upon his characteristics, to testify of him, to turn our hearts away from the confusion of the natural man, that is always within us and choose the way Jesus would act. Joy fills our hearts. The circumstance never needs to be removed from us in order for us to be able to turn our focus to the light and the joy that's found in Jesus Christ. And as I've said to you before, the one way that I can recommend for you to be able to feel the awe that joy brings is to keep a tender mercy journal to contribute every good thing back to him, that he is the giver of all good gifts. And you thank him for that. And you recognize the good that's happening in your life. And I 100% every time I have done this, it has brought joy back into my life. The next factor to the joy experienced by Alma and Ammon and his brethren had everything to do with the love that they genuinely felt for those that they taught and the redemption that the people were able to experience. 
Though they never imagined it being to the degree in which they experienced it, their love for the Lamanites had grown so greatly that they were overcome. Thousands had been brought to the knowledge of God. And they were so drastically changed to the point that the love that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's had grown for their brethren and for God caused them to covenant that they would rather lose their own lives than shed the blood of their brethren. And that's because of their strong love for God, their love of their brethren, and their hatred for sin. There is joy that comes from bringing one soul unto God. I just recently experienced this with my youngest child's baptism. At the end of the day, there was just this quiet moment of joy as I sat with my family and I just just silently looked around at them. And this quiet voice of joy entered my mind and heart, reassuring me that they had all been rightly placed on the covenant path, that each child was being changed in ways that I could not see But the Spirit reassured me that it was so. Faith in things which cannot be seen, but which are true, brings us joy. I also want to remind you once again about the overwhelming joy that these men experienced when they came upon one another, when they greeted each other and were able to learn that they were all still brethren in the Lord. They experienced full joy and exceedingly great joy. Some of us experienced that joy when we, were, when we were able to finally meet together after being separated from COVID, that we were able to see one another, that we were all still brethren in Christ, united in our worship and, and in our deep desire for redemption. It grounded us in hope. And we've missed those who haven't returned yet. The same covenants that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's made are essentially the same covenants that we have made. And together, as a people, they've strived for righteous living and were known by the Nephites to be God's people. They were known for their zeal towards God and, and also towards men. They were perfectly honest and upright in all things. They were firm in their faith, and they had a bright hope of the resurrection that they didn't even fear death anymore. And this zeal towards God and towards one another, it brought joy into their lives. It made them a very highly favored people of the Lord, a people that the Nephites took upon themselves to protect at great cost. But then again, joy is found when we do care for the spiritual welfare of those around us and when we strive to bring them unto Christ. Finally, we have the last letter Y, and it stands for you. The redemption of Jesus Christ for you is the single most important thing you can seek after. To know Jesus Christ is to know joy to feel his redemption for your own personal soul. It allows you to be comforted and strengthened so that you can face those circumstances that you kind of wish would change. But come what may, when you have joy in the plan, in the redemption of you, you can face those circumstances. Ammon said, And now behold, my brethren, what natural man is there that knoweth these things? I say unto you, there is none that knoweth these things, save it be the penitent. Yea, he that repenteth, 
and exerciseth faith and bringeth forth good works and prayeth continually without ceasing. Unto such it is given to know the mysteries of God. Yea, unto such it shall be given to reveal things which never have been revealed. Yea, and it shall be given unto such to bring thousands of souls to repentance. Only the penitent, only those who have utilized the gift of the atonement can experience the joy that such work brings. And I don't think this needs to be dramatic. It can very much look like the penitent attitude that I had when I was serving. That really is my way the best way? I don't think so. Let's change my mind about it. Joy comes in knowing that we've been brought out of the darkness and into the light. It brings reassurance that we won't be beaten down by the storm at the last day. Neither shall we be harrowed up by the whirlwinds. But when the storm comes, we will be gathered together in our place so the storm won't penetrate us. Neither will we be permitted to be driven with fierce winds wherever the enemy would have us be carried to. Joy keeps us firm. I think sometimes we unintentionally push joy away. Maybe we're thinking like Aaron that it's just too boastful, mistakenly believing that we might be finding a little too much pleasure in our own selves or assuming prematurely that the blessings are ours to enjoy right now. And we walk around acting as if maybe that we have to cross our fingers. (laughs) I hope that these promises will be for me. I hope I'll qualify for the last day. But you know, what if we just walked around knowing Knowing that because of our strivings towards righteousness, that everything is going to be okay. Wonder if we practiced that. Would that allow more joy? I think this is exactly the faith that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's lived every day. That they allowed to direct their paths. I love the confidence that Ammon expressed, by the way. He said, I do not boast in my own strength nor in my own wisdom. But behold, my joy is full. My heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing. (laughs) As to my own strength, I'm weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. In God's strength, I can do all things. That should be our motto for this year our 2022 motto. How about that? And a New Year's resolution that we can have is to find joy. Joy in Jesus. Joy in our love of others and their redemption. And joy in the love of ourselves and our own redemption. And finally, the last thing I want to mention is that joy is found in doing things the Lord's way and not the human way. Ammon reminds his brethren of how the Nephites had initially laughed at their proposal to go among the Lamanites and preach the word of God. The Nephites believed it would be more effective to just wipe them off the face of the earth. (laughs) But the sons of Mosiah, who turned to God, and though at times it was hard, and they were at times depressed in spirits, They relied upon their personal relationship that they had with the Lord. And they allowed the Lord to comfort them and to guide them. And they remained patient and long-suffering, just like the Lord told them to. And now their joy was more than they 
ever could have imagined possible during those moments because joy is found in Jesus, period. Period. 